0: Chapter 1, A Gesture of Friendship, August 1966. The phone was ringing. It had been eerily silent for the past two days. Hello, I said. Mr. Michael, there has been some trouble. It was the Swami's voice, raspy, but concerned, warm and paternal. I had met the Swami only a few months ago. There had been some trouble. I read the article in the New York Times, he said. I cringed, thinking of the Swami reading the article, quote, Michael Grant, 24, was charged with offering narcotics to a minor, accused of statutory rape, possession with the intention to sell narcotics, and contributing to the delinquency of a minor, end quote. No, I think it's all under control now, I blurted into the phone. Some lawyers are working on it, and they tell me it'll all be over in a few weeks, nothing to worry about. I was trying to sound optimistic, even though my nightmare was far from over. Can you come here for lunch? I, I think so. When? We have lunch every day. Can you come today? Yes, I think so. Yes, I'll come. See you then. Goodbye. The week before the Swami's phone call, I'd been arrested in Hurleyville, New York, and jailed for five days. After the New York Times article appeared, my piano tuner didn't answer my phone calls. Neither did my work contacts or my friends. My social circle crumbled overnight. Everyone hated me, or so it seemed. The FBI, the Hurleyville Police, the New York State Troopers, the New York Times, the Musicians' Union, and apparently even my small cluster of friends. Where were they? Why didn't they care, or at least phone? I could explain that the charges were false. I hadn't done anything wrong. I wasn't caught in bed with Henry's 15-year-old girlfriend like the state cop told his pals, and she wasn't my companion like the New York Times said. Although I was far from a saint at 24, I wasn't that bad. As I was being arrested, it occurred to me that this event had the potential to turn my musical career into a complete shambles. Publicity like this scared people. Although I was well-known, and slightly idolized by a few people in the jazz underworld. And although I had made the grade in that world with a kind of twisted fame, my bubble had burst. Now I felt it was me and my partner Jan against the rest of the world. Who was that? Asked Jan when I hung up the phone. It was the Swami. Geez, I never thought he'd call. You know, maybe this whole arrest thing is a sign. Maybe we should just chuck the whole thing and live more simply. You know, move out to the country. Or to somewhere else in the world, someplace like India. What do you think? I don't want to hang around for the court case. Oh, I don't know, she sighed. If you don't show up for the hearings and they catch you, then you'll really be in trouble. Things were changing in my life, fast. Within the past two years, both my parents had died. And with a modest inheritance in hand and an obliging, fun partner, I could really see myself leaving New York for good maybe for some exotic destination. Now in the midst of my legal quagmire, I felt I should have left the city long ago. A few hours later, I headed over to the Swami's new location on 2nd Avenue, about half an hour walk from my place in the Bowery. It was hot and muggy. The corner garbage cans overflowed. As usual, the Bowery smelled like a mixture of urine and beer, an unmistakable odor that always hung in the summer air in that part of Manhattan. I'd gotten used to the nonstop rumble of cars and trucks along the Bowery. Most of the people on the sidewalk were drunks, but there were a few delivery men and Chinese on their way from Chinatown to the other side of Canal Street. There was a large black announcement board propped up in the front window of the small storefront I'd helped the Swami secure six weeks earlier. Inch high, white letters stuck into the grooves on the board. Classes on Bhagavad Gita, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 7 p.m. Chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, and your life will be sublime.